You're listening to The Winning Mind Podcast. I am Letitia D'Souza. I am a mindset coach and business strategist who has helped more than 1,200 people change their lives, their relationships, their businesses, and just win in life. There's a myriad of reasons why we're not winning in life. Most people don't really play to win. They play not to lose. And what winning really means is becoming a better version of yourself each and every day. We can do this together. Hey, beautiful people I love. Happy, happy new year, depending on what you believe. If you believe that the new year happens when we got into 2023, happy new year. Some people hold to the belief that the new year actually starts in the spring, but whatever it is, we're in 2023. And the only thing that's different about me is that the year has changed. How about that? (laughs) Um, Probably not the case, but let's see. Well, my daughter is married now, so she is now um, complete with that whole thing. It seemed like it was a long time coming. We got married, and then we had a beautiful family vacation in Cancun, and a beautiful, what turned out to be a reception on a private island, and then a beautiful yacht party. It was beautiful, beautiful memories were made. I'm sure new bonds and relationships were formed, and it was just a really, really beautiful occasion. Uh, let's see what else we got. I'm going back to Cancun in a few weeks. I think Cancun must be crushing on me hard. I'm going to be going with my client to celebrate their team accomplishing their goals. And I'm excited about that. Y'all want to know something? I'm so used to doing things for other people, making things happen for other people, that my client invited me and I graciously accepted. And then she was like, all right, I'm going to pay for the flight. Do you know how difficult it was for me to let her pay for my flight? Because I was like, uh, if you the accommodations are taken care of, like I can get myself there. It's not a big deal. But what I really had to realize was that when you're a giver, you also have to allow yourself to receive because part of sowing is that you reap. So who am I to cut off the, the the blessings that I'm receiving? And so I got that flight booked real quick. It It's actually been a very emotional, like, it was an emotional November, December for me. And in revamping a lot of things, the thing that I was trying to move away from the most, like even on the podcast, was talking about pain and talking about trauma and that kind of thing, right? Because I was like, God, I get tired. It feels like I'm having the the same cyclical conversation. And so I was really trying to move around that. Guess what? That didn't work so well. I was talking to my God, God, and my God, God was telling me very explicitly that I am a healer. The work that I do is healing work. I don't care what label you want to call it. And so now I'm being invited to go deeper into the work. So the resistance in me was like how we sometimes tried to swim upstream because it it can be very overwhelming. It can be very overwhelming, not just because I constantly have to heal my own, but also just being that space and being part 
of so many other people's stories, right? Sometimes the, the work is overwhelming. And if it wasn't for God's grace and the fact that this is the work that has been given to me to do, I definitely wouldn't choose it. And so sometimes I tell people coaching is what I call it, but coaching is my calling. It's not just a career path or a career choice because I could definitely do something that's a lot less less taxing. So anyway, all that to say, I applied for a seven-month course to the Trauma Research Foundation to go deeper into this work and learn with some of the world's experts on trauma. And I've just really started a more deeper study. So where I have politely thought, this is how I'm going to change my life and do this, God is like, "Mm, not so much, baby girl. You're right. You're exactly where you need to be. So y'all going to be hearing more <laughs> about trauma. Like this, this, this is just where we are. I just have to just, you know, put my big girl undies on and say like, hey, this, this is just my life's work. Because here's the thing. So many people walk around aimlessly and walk and walk around from day to day and they have no idea what their life's work is, what they're given to do. They walk around empty, walk around pursuing so many things, looking for purpose outside of themselves. And here I am with a clear sense of purpose, not that I have everything figured out, but with a clear sense of this is what I'm being invited to even more. And I wanted to complain about that. So I had to shift gears a bit and just tell God that I'm thankful and grateful. And that even though it's naturally naturally difficult sometimes, a lot of times, I know that I'm spiritually fortified. I know that the work wouldn't be given to me to do if I wasn't capable of doing it. And um, the other thing you got to realize, guys, is that oftentimes the thing that has been your biggest pain point, the thing that has just caused you the most challenge in your life, a lot of times that is a key indicator to a sense of purpose. And the reason why it's so troublesome for you and why it's so heavy for you is because it's yours to heal. But a lot of times, instead of looking at it in that way, we don't want to deal with it. And so we try to avoid it, right? And so you see so many people doing so many things that are really not theirs to do because a lot of times when you're called for a certain work, you it, it is just not an easy thing. So I think when we stop looking for easy, it won't be so hard. That being said, let's get into it. Dr. Gabor Mate, and in case any of you want to look him up, it's G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T with a little thing over the E. He is a physician, but he really studies trauma. And so I first got introduced to his work with the documentary, The Wisdom of Trauma. And so I've mentioned this before, where he says, if we look at trauma as it's not what happened to people. First of all, it's not what's wrong with people. It's it's not even what's happened to people. It's what happened inside of people as a result of trauma. And so he's saying, if we look at it through the lenses of that, then it allows us to be more compassionate with other people. But I was looking at a video of his, and I just, of course, you know, I want to share my own take on it. But he was talking about the seven signs of trauma. And here's the thing. A lot of us are living with trauma, and it is crippling and paralyzing, and we don't really know it. So I'm just going to share those seven signs of trauma. The first one is a separation from self. What 
ever happened to any of you, any of us that was traumatizing, it separated us from ourselves. And so when you feel disconnected from yourself, guess what's going to happen? You are always looking for something outside of yourself to give you meaning. So it could be your work, right? It could be you find your identity in your work. You find your identity in your beauty. You find your identity in or, you know, just in money, in power, in status, we find our identities and all of these things outside of ourselves because we are separated from ourselves. And, and what happens, though, is when you are separated from yourself and when your identity is built on anything outside of yourself, it never feels secure because when it's good, you feel good. When it's not so good, you don't feel good. And so it creates this emotional roller coaster and this inner sense of instability because you don't know you. Okay. The second step is disconnection from others. If you have a very difficult time connecting with other people, it only makes sense if you are separated from yourself or you connect with others in a way where you share a false sense of self or you share this adapted version of who you think you need to be to be accepted by others. And so that is why you can be in a room full of people. You can have a big circle. You can have a lot of people around you. You can have a lot of fanfare, a lot of this and a lot of that. And yet you still feel isolated and you still feel alone because if you're separated from yourself and your connections with others don't really feel real, because how can other people, you would think, really see you, feel you, hear you, understand you if you don't? Doesn't mean that they can't, but it feels, if you ever feel like you are just the exception to the rule, nobody gets you, everybody misunderstands you, you don't quite fit, and you can't quite make solid connections with other people, this could be why. The third one is an altered worldview. The lenses by which you see the world is the way in which you will experience the world. If you, you know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the lenses through which you look through the world is how you experience the world. If you see people who it's always raining on their side of the street, right? They're all there's just like always something happening. Guess what? There's always something happening because these are the lenses that trauma has caused them to look through the world. And so this is the reality that feels right and familiar. And this is the reality that they continue to create, right? And so if you're somebody who looks at the world as you expect great things to happen to you, I'm talking about for real, for real, then what do you see? You see just like continuously great things happening. So the way you look through the world is the way you will experience it. Number four, lifelong pain. Lifelong pain is only in the sense that you never learn to deal with your pain or you never move to a place where you can heal some of the things that cause you pain. But guys, there are people who die the way that they lived, meaning they die a painful death because they lived painful lives. But the truth is we don't have to live with this existential pain, but you know, it's 
a difficult thing to to just go and explore the thing that that hurt you, right? Or or to unpack that. Number five, cognitive development. So here's what happens with cognitive development. there's, There's a term, I've said it before, and it's called arrested development. So there could be, you could be an adult in many, many ways in your life. And then there are places in your development where you could be very, very childlike because the conditions in which you were nurtured or the environment in which you grew up, it did not allow for the development that you have that you needed cognitively. And so what you find is that you are dealing with adult situations from a childlike place. The the challenge in that is when you get adult consequences, because for all practical purposes, you are an adult, but you don't have the tools to actually adult in that area. And looking at you, right, nobody knows that, oh, you're a grown woman in all these areas, but you're really a frightened little girl over here. Does that make sense? So when our cognitive development has been stunted, or when we have arrested development in some areas, we are constantly responding to people, things, situations, stimuli through childlike lenses. And what happens with children? If you think about some of the stories and things that you've concluded as a child, when you get older, sometimes when you have responsibilities, when you become a parent, you see that, oh, that wasn't the fullness of that. That was the only thing that you could absorb or experience in your childlike mind. Well, what if you're still living in a way that is cognitively undeveloped? Okay, the other sign of trauma is personal shame. Shame says that there is something wrong with me. Shame, not not guilt, like I've done something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. And there is no amount of anything that you can do to like get rid of this this sneaky little feeling that something is wrong with you, like you are wrong, you are a mistake. And you know what happens with shame, just like with these other things? Shame also perpetuates a sense of disconnection because you are going to naturally hide. If you feel ashamed about the totality of who you are, you're going to hide yourself and you're going to show up in a persona that is not really you or you're just going to hide out altogether from people or only show parts of those those of yourself that other people have deemed acceptable, right? But it's a nagging feeling that something is wrong with me. I am something wrong. And then the last sign of trauma is difficulty being present. Now let's let's just think about this. We are a society now that is very, very prone to being checked out because being checked out allows us to numb ourselves from the truth of our feelings. What would your life look like if for a day, a week, a month, you didn't have television, you didn't have entertainment, you didn't have alcohol, you didn't have marijuana or whatever ever other drugs, you didn't have like social media to scroll through and just chat. What would happen? Could you really be present with whatever emotions that you were experiencing? If you haven't practiced being present and practiced feeling your feelings, then the answer is probably no. You are going to need something to allow you to check out. But what happens is it creates a difficulty 
in being present. And so, you know how some people, like a lot of our kids these days, are being diagnosed with ADHD and people just want to medicate the kids? A lot of us may have symptoms of adult ADHD. Well, when I was researching this and exploring this, he said, let's look at it as if a a thing of cognitive development again. One thing that happens with people with ADHD is that they seem tuned out and checked out, but they can completely and totally focus on something of interest, right, and tune out the rest of the world. And he's saying, what if that's an area of development or underdevelopment that the body and or the brain's mechanism to protect you and to preserve you, to like shut down and tune things out. And so when you tune things out, you create safety, right? You you create a sense of safety from whatever it is that feels like danger or that feels like a threat. You know, it's it's actually tied to the fight, flight, freeze. You disassociate from your body, from situations, from circumstances, and then you just seem checked out. And so people are trying to reach you, but it's like, hello, is anybody home? No. So it's almost like being comatose, right? You, you're there, you're still alive, but you, you don't seem to be reachable because you have developed a mechanism within yourself to check out and tune into only what feels safe, right? So now just imagine, guys, that just imagine if we're living with all of this stuff, why our relationships can be so incredibly, incredibly challenging and difficult um, when we're living with all of these things. And so I was just, I was just really thinking about that, like, wow. And so, so many people are like, oh, I got adult ADHD, right? And it's kind of like a thing. But if you just really, really think about it and you think about your mind is trying to protect you from a perceived threat, and so you just tune things out That's just a really different approach. Y'all want to know what else I learned? Well, I'm going to tell you. They did a study on people with chronic diseases like uh, cancers, autoimmune diseases. You know, autoimmune diseases are like a blanket of diseases that people are like, we don't really know where it comes from, right? But, But you got it. You got symptoms, but we don't know the origin. Like ALK, they did a, a study of people with all of these these diseases. And do you know what they found to be the case in a lot of people with chronic diseases? I am not saying that this is exhaustive, right? One of the things is that those people were more cognizant or more in tune with other people's needs than their own, right? So let's let's just think about this. How being a coach, being that person, I am definitely in tune with other people's needs. I've had to learn self-care, learn to prioritize myself so that this work wouldn't consume me. But how do you learn to put other people first to the detriment of yourself? They said that it's a coping mechanism. So say if you were a child, the child's connection to the parent or the caregiver is crucial for the child to live, right? So kids learn, let's just say if you had a parent who was checked out, a parent that wasn't present, a parent who was always stressed, you want to keep the connection to the parent. And so you become hypervigilant and in tune to what seems to make the parent happy or what you what you need to do to placate and you become who the parent needs for your own survival. 
parent ain't in tune to your needs. You're in tune to the parent's needs. And so this could happen, you know, if the parents were stressed, if there was addiction, if you were raised in a single parent household, there's a myriad of reasons why, right? And so now you become attuned to other people's needs. And so you have this thing that other people are more important than you. But because it was a coping mechanism, this is still what you do in the most of your relationships, which if it makes sense, is why people who are caregivers and empaths and nurturers seem to attract people who have narcissistic tendencies. Does that make sense? Because you did not unlearn that your needs are important. And in fact, it feels counterintuitive to place yourself first. I know I'm talking to some of y'all. I know it. So then the second thing that they said for people with chronic illnesses is that there is this rigid sense of identification with Judy's roles and responsibilities. It's like, you got to show up. You got to get the job done. You got to show up for people. You become like self-sacrificing. You got you to, gotta, you have to, you should, um, regardless of how it feels to you. Again, you're on the back burner. And so you show up for people, you're saying yes. All of you are saying no, but your mouth says yes. And so you're spreading yourself thin, trying to show up for people and not taking into account how it feels for you. Again, because it was a coping mechanism. Here's the other one. Suppression of anger or a difficulty expressing healthy anger. When you are angry about something, anger says that a boundary has been crossed. The difference is we've not learned how to express anger healthily. So let's just think about this, right? Children don't know how to soothe themselves or regulate their emotions if they are angry or upset, right? So let's just say in our environments, if we were upset, we were either told men a lot of times are told to stuff their emotions. A lot of times girls weren't necessarily nurtured and you were just left to cry it out and tough it out. And so you didn't learn how to self-soothe because you weren't soothed. That soothing wasn't modeled for you, right? And so now as an adult, when you feel angry, you don't know how to express the anger. Either you suppress the anger, either it's turned inward towards yourself, which is depression, or you either are reacting and having um, outbursts of anger in a way that seems so much larger than what you're actually angry about. It's because you didn't learn, right? And the last part or the last characteristic that they said was being responsible for how other people feel. Again, I feel like it's tied to the first one, quite honestly, but being responsible for how other people feel. You're responsible for how your partner feels. If your partner is having a bad day, you are responsible to fix it for them. You are not responsible for people. You are responsible to people. And so you become the fixer. I just told my mom this morning, I said, mom, you know, I can see those fixing tendencies in you and how I got those fixing tendencies from you, just that being modeled for me. And I said, but the only difference is I've learned and am continually learning how to make myself a priority. And you can go to extremes with that. You can become, make yourself such a priority that you are incredibly selfish and ain't nobody getting nothing from you, right? But a healthy, a healthy sense of making you a priority 
is that you love others as you love yourself, that people don't get more from you than you than you give to yourself. So it's just not out of balance because, you know, a lot of us are pouring from empty containers. We are just as empty as empty could be. And we're trying to pour out to other people. And because we've postured ourselves as a source or as a resource to people, people are still placing demands on us and people don't realize that we're empty and we don't have anything to give, right? And so you have to get replenished. You have to find relationships that can pour into you so that you are replenished or If you have a relationship with God where you can go and get replenished and get filled up emotionally, spiritually, then you've got to do that, right? But I find it so interesting that that is linked to chronic illnesses and diseases because guess what? I have some autoimmune things. They were like, we think it might be a form of lupus that affects the skin. We think it might be this. There's a whole lot of thinking and no real solutions, right? And so what I've had to do is I've had to go within and just and allow this work to work in me, right? And continually heal, continually grow, and continually evolve. Because if my body is responding to something, something traumatic that happened, it is escaping my mind and my current reality, right? And so there's just more work of exploration there. But I would not allow people to simply medicate the symptoms and I'm not really getting to the source. So again, I always tell y'all that this work is working in me as well. But let me tell y'all something that I that I discovered that just really blew me away. You know how this is still tied to trauma and, and cognitive development and that kind of a thing. And I'm and the reason I'm bringing this up is because when relationships start to feel heavy for me or people start to feel really emotionally needy or like they're like trying to pour all their stuff on me, I'm not talking about with my clients because it's different, but I'm talking about in my personal life, I instantly have to put distance because it starts to overwhelm me, Right. Because people see me as this rock. People see me as this. And whenever you find something solid, if you're tired, you're going to lean on it. If you're tired, you're going to lean on a wall or a support or whatever, right? And I am that for a lot of people. However, it's always one of those things where I'm like, uh. but I learned that we have been basically shaming people, myself included, for being codependent and needy. When, in fact, they said that you don't learn to be independent until you can first be dependent. Think about this. If we needed for our survival to be dependent on our caregivers and dependent upon the people that were in our environments, and we could not, right? Now we're 40, 50, whatever the case may be. And we may have all the appearances of being hyper-independent and that I don't want to ask for help, but beneath all of that is because you didn't get that need met. But And so then when you get into relationships, this person that seems hyper-independent and they find somebody who's a rock or a pillar, now all of a sudden all of this need comes out and it's like, wait, wait, what happened? To be independent, people need to first be dependent. So if you're experiencing codependent dynamics in any of your relationships, rather than shaming yourself, 
or shaming the other person or people that are involved, just give that some consideration because we do these things unknowingly. We just really need a place to depend upon. And a lot of times we probably didn't even recognize that within ourselves because after all, who wants to be needy? Well, guess what? Needy people need something because their needs are not met. And I'm not saying that you have to meet people's needs, but again, it's just learning to unpack these things, learning to look at it through the lenses of compassion, learning to develop boundaries with ourselves and with other people, but learning that, guess what, guys? Some of us are really doing the best that we can. With what life has served us, we are doing the absolute best that we can. So love on somebody a little bit more today. Be a little bit more compassion with yourself today and um, more gentle with yourself today, more gentle with the words that you're using to speak to yourself and about yourself. And when, when you can do this to yourself, with yourself, for yourself, doing this for other people becomes a lot easier. I love each and every one of you and um, share the podcast with someone because you know what I realized? We have become masters of masks and facades and you never ever really know what people need and what people are going through. I love each and every one of you. Have a beautiful rest of your day.